Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode number 71 of the John Riley Project. It is Saturday, August 24th, 2019. We are broadcasting, as we always do, from the city and the country, Poway, California. Welcome to this podcast. We It's a podcast all about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's what we talk about. We get into a whole bunch of issues. We'll talk about current events and politics. We talk sports, electric vehicles, capitalism, entrepreneurship, um, just a wide variety of topics and issues that we enjoy commenting on and sharing our thoughts. We sometimes have guests on our show. Today, we're doing another solo podcast. We're going to talk about uh, school bond measure that's coming forth in Poway, um, which is a pretty hot topic here considering the history in Poway. And then we're going to talk a little bit about the housing crisis and some of the things that are going on in the city of Santee. So, you know, we like to explore some of these current issues here in San Diego County. Uh, sometimes we talk about national issues. Sometimes we're local here in San Diego area. Sometimes we get super local and just talk about what's happening in my town in Poway. So we're going to be doing a little bit here locally uh, in the county, touching on Santee um, and Poway. But issues, they're really... Um you know, kind of go beyond each of these individual cities. There's a housing crisis that goes, it's all throughout San Diego County and, and in the state of California. We're going to talk about one aspect of it. And school financing is obviously a big issue. There are a lot of school districts that are struggling financially, not just in San Diego County, but in other parts of California. So a lot of this is topical regardless of where you live. So I hope you enjoy it. Um, but before we dig in, you know, I always like to give you an update on what I've been up to and some of the things going on in my world. Um, I've been sort of, I've had this bizarre addiction. I've been binge watching the TV show Madam President on Netflix. I don't know if you've seen this. This is the show starring Tia Leone and she's the Secretary of State. Um, did I say Madam President? It's Madam Secretary. Madam Secretary is the show. Um, there was one episode where she actually filled in for the president. She was Madam President for a little while. Um, but I'm, I'm actually enjoying this. So I've been uh, – this is Saturday. It's late. It's about 10 o'clock. Um, the Padre game just finished. They lost again to the Red Sox. Um, and so I thought I'd be able to sneak this podcast in. But th this morning and early afternoon, I was cranking through some of those episodes, just enjoying some downtime after a busy week. Um, I'm now up to – uh, if I get in another episode late tonight before I go to sleep, I'll be uh, starting up episode seven of season two of Madam Secretary. Um, so not sure if you've seen that show. Let me know what you think. I, some friends that I know, people that I trust have said that the first few seasons were really good. Then by the time we got to seasons three and four, it got a little preachy, a little politically correct, a little bit soapboxy. We're already seeing a little bit of that now in the early parts of season two. But yeah, let me know your thoughts. I'm enjoying it. It's a lot of fun. Um, kind of reminds me of back when I used to watch West Wing back in the day. So anyways, that's been my latest uh, my latest binge. And then, yeah, the Padres. Gee whiz. They, Red Sox are in town. Everyone's fired up. And they're wearing these awful uniforms for players. Uh, the players weekend and then they laid an egg 11 nothing on Friday night. And then tonight, they just couldn't quite 
get over the hump, lost 5-4 on a home run in the top of the ninth. It's the, the friggin' San Diego sports curse jinxing us again. One of these days, I'm hoping we're going to see a local team here win a national championship in baseball. Um, we're never going to see it in football since the Chargers moved. Maybe we might see a nice run in, in college sports. I'm hopeful. Um, but still, we're <laughs> it's a tough place to live if you are rooting for the home team here. Uh, no disrespect to the San Diego Sockers and their great tradition. But um, yeah, wow. So uh, my wife and I often joke, we just want to be alive when the Padres win their first World Series. And we're hoping that's going to happen sometime here in the next Five years, maybe, according to the plan of AJ Preller and the upper man, the uh, the front office staff there. So we're uh, we're rooting for uh, success here locally. Anyways, um, all right, let's let's get into this this whole school bond thing. Um, there's another school bond that's being discussed here in Poway. You know, my little birds were telling me I'm like Lord Varys on Game of Thrones. My little birds have been telling me that this has been kind of cooking. It's been in the works. Um, and then Thursday we got an email and I think it went to almost every parent in the in the school district. Maybe it went to other stakeholders. I'm not sure, but it was basically testing the water on what you think about a school bond. Um, and I tried to I responded to the survey on Thursday, and then I'm putting this podcast together, and I wanted to go back into the survey and re-review all the um, the questions, uh, but it won't let me in because you can only respond to it once. And so um, at any rate, so I'm trying to remember a lot of the questions from top of mind. But if I recall, you know, they were asking for almost $500 million, and remember back in 2010, we had the billion-dollar bond that really put Poway into the front and center into the national news. The Poway Unified School District was was, uh, shamed that we were a disgrace uh, because essentially, and the short version of the story is, is that in 2010, the school board voted to borrow a little bit over $100 million, but they voted for a plan that would require the the taxpayers to pay nearly $1 billion. So it's roughly 10 times the amount of the original loan um, would have to be paid back. And it was because they did this crazy capital appreciation bond, which, by the way, are now illegal in the state of California, largely because of this scandal. Um, it's essentially uh, a bond where payments on principal and interest were deferred by 20 years. It's almost like the crazy real estate loans prior to the Great Recession where there's no principal, no interest. Um, It's the same basic concept. And so that money was borrowed. I think it was voted on in 2010. I don't think we took possession of it for a few years later. You know, so I, I'm trying to remember the exact dates, but it was around 2012, 2013 that the funding came in, and then there was renovations at a lot of the schools in the school district. Um, but there's a 20 year. T- delay until payments start. So I think the payments begin in 2032, maybe 2033, and then will continue for 20 years thereafter. Um, and these bonds were were um, you know voted on by the school board and. Every one of the school board members that voted on those bonds has either stepped down from office or has been um, removed from office by the voters. Um, And unfortunately, that bond measure cannot be refinanced. It can't be renegotiated. They're non-callable bonds. Taxpayers in our community are stuck with it. Um, And those school bonds 
didn't cover everything that was necessary. And you're thinking, my goodness, we're spending a billion dollars and it still didn't cover all the things that were necessary. I mean, I know I go down the road here to the Poway High School. The gymnasium there is really old. You go in the locker rooms and it's really kind of disgusting. Uh, so, and I know other schools are having some challenges. Roofs are leaking and, you know, there's other things that need to be upgraded or maintained. Um, the schools need uh, to make these repairs. Now, we can debate how they fund that, which I'm going to get into. Um, but in my opinion, there is a need for it. Now, we can talk about the fact, like, why in the heck is there a need if we're borrowing a billion dollars? I'm actually, we're borrowing a little over a hundred million, but paying back nearly a billion. How could there possibly still be needs? And, and you know how it goes. These these projects end up being way more expensive than they originally thought. And it's a lot of it is because of the way government functions. And we, we've talked about this in other podcasts. A lot of times government's always paying prevailing wages. So labor rates are a lot higher. Um, a lot of times uh, bidders on contracts are uh, bidding excessively high because it's a government contract and then they know they can get away with it. In other cases, there are just tremendous rules and regulations that make construction so much more difficult, so much more expensive. Um, So you add it all up and you just don't get nearly um, the bang for the buck that you would normally think you can get for construction in the private sector. So it ends up with these really expensive pricing and that original loan didn't cover everything. And now suddenly you go through this survey and the survey that I took on Thursday night, you know, they were asking how you felt about you know, different parts of the school district? Do you find that we need to upgrade certain things? How do you feel about, um, uh, you know, roofs that are leaking? Does that have an impact on your child's ability to learn? And, you know, they were pushing a lot of buttons in that survey to build up awareness of some of the issues, but also to build sympathy, maybe in some cases guilt, um, to try to entice people to want to be favorable to the school bond. And again, I'm trying to remember the specifics. I can't go back into the survey again and check. But if I recall, um, they started at $480 million um, and and asked, how do you feel about that? Is that something that you would likely approve? And then they would ask the question again, if you said no, then they would ask the question again, how about a little bit less? And I think it dropped down to like $400 million. And then they eventually worked their way down to $100 million, basically testing your temperature, testing the water um, on how receptive the community might be to a school bond measure. Um, it, it, was, it was remarkable because, and now granted, I, I, I tend to be pretty outspoken in, in um, the billion-dollar bond that happened here in Poway, commenting about financial issues in the school district. But there is still a great degree of mistrust in the community about the school district, concern over fiscal responsibility, and particularly bitterness, anger, um, a feeling of being cheated or ripped off when it came to that billion dollar bond. There was just outrage in the community when that news came out, you know, rightfully so. Again, we were, it was a disgrace and it reflected poorly on the leadership of the school board and and on the superintendent. And then Amazingly, the the school the school board gave that former superintendent John Collins an extension and a raise after this billion dollar bond, which I just couldn't believe. Um, and so again, more anger, frustration, 
with the voters. So now potentially another vote may come forward in 2020 asking for some portion of money. You know, I don't know if it's 100 million, if it's 300 million, 500 million. And I think that's just the amount that's to be borrowed. How much is actually going to need to be paid back when you add in the interest and the loan and, and, and really the total cost to the taxpayer is going to be a lot more. So we've already gotten stung with a billion dollar bond. Those, those uh, bonds won't be paid for until 2033, if I recall, when they'll start. Ironically, around that time, that same construction that occurred 20 years earlier is going to need to be upgraded or maintained. And so we're going to have bonds upon layers of bonds upon layers of bonds. And it's just crazy. Um, so, you know, when I when I saw that um, survey come out, you know, for me, um, I, I just always vote no on bonds. It's just my rule. Uh, why borrow the money when we can finance it through our own um, internal revenue stream? That's how I think these things should be done. In fact, here in the city of Poway, that's how they do it. Um, they run surpluses. The surplus goes into reserve. That reserve is um, earmarked for certain capital improvement projects. Those capital improvement projects are prioritized and maintained and managed. And there's still money in the budget to handle maintenance um, and modest upgrades to some of these facilities. Um, and that's handled within the city of Poway's budget. They have a great model. Uh, Poway Unified School District, the school district, a completely separate government entity, does things the exact opposite. Um, they not only um, don't save anything of significance, um, in fact, their reserves are been dwindling and dwindling even in the, during a great economy when you would think that revenues would be would be going up they're struggling to manage expenses. And so the school district now um, still running deficits, um, still uh, seeing dwindling reserves, structural deficit where recurring expenses are exceeding re recurring revenues, and all the while continuing to give out raises um, to teachers and to other employees on top of the raises they've been previously given, on top of the raises that they're already guaranteed uh, for seniority increases, for getting additional credentialing increases. It's layer, layers upon layers of more raises. And again, that's how the school board works. You get the, the endorsement from the unions and it's quid pro quo. You scratch my back, I scratch yours. And then the school board goes ahead and gives those unions raises. Um, fiscal responsibility be damned. And then it all comes back down to the taxpayer. And so here we are. And now we're going to be faced with a potential bond measure. It looks like it's going to probably come on the ballot. I think, I've, again, my birds were, were telling me that it will probably be in 2020, um, either during the presidential primary, which in California, they moved it up. Is it in March this year? I'm not sure. Um, or it'll be in November in the presidential uh, general election in November of 2020 is when I would think they want to put it on the ballot. I don't know if they're going to get all their ducks in a row um, to do that because, you know, the clock is ticking. It's less than a year until the California primaries and a little bit over a year before the general election. And there's there's a lot of uh, preparation to get to that point. Um, but, you know, it, it's like I said, it the uh, even though um, – even though that we have a new school superintendent, a new school board, there's still a lot of bitterness, a lot of um, 
you know, anger about the previous school board. And I know there's going to be a lot of people that are, you know, they're going to say, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. I think there's going to be a little bit of that out there. Um, so I'm curious to see how this plays out. Um, are, are we going to go down the path of more bonds, more debt to finance this sort of thing? Um, you know, there was... God, this is a little bit another bit of a tangent, but there was just so much financial scandal with the previous superintendent stealing three hundred and fifty thousand dollars of taxpayer dollars, taxpayer dollars that were intended to educate children. He stole the money, was found guilty in a court of law, um, you know, for about half that amount. I don't know how the other half he wiggled out of it. The new superintendent, I'll give her credit, she's trying to uh, build fiscal controls, discipline changing some of the systems and processes um, so there's a lot more integrity into the way the financial models works. But still, we're dealing with deficit spending, specifically structural deficits, dwindling reserves, um, again, all during a time when the economy is robust. So the school district still faces challenges managing their own expenses, and now they want more money for capital improvements. And I mean, I, I just I just have a real problem with it. Like I said, I think these are the types of things that need to be funded from the general fund. I think we need to take a serious look and address how schools are financed and really look at it from a different perspective. You know, it's the old Albert Einstein thing. If you keep doing the same thing over and over again uh, and expecting a different result, well, that's the definition of insanity. And that's kind of where we are. Um, So I'm going to put out a number of proposals. And these are things that I think can be done. Um, to to minimize spending within school districts, uh, so that they can and they can actually run a balanced budget. Oh my God, imagine that! Um, or better than that, actually run a surplus, so that that surplus can be put into reserves and save for rainy days, and have that done consistently year to year. And the way you have to do it is that you have to reduce spending. And in a school district, approximately 80% or more of their budget, their operating budget, goes to people, to costs for payroll and benefits and pensions and everything else. So if you need to reduce spending in a school district and you want to do it in a significant way, you have to cut spending on people. And that's why I think a completely new way of looking at school districts is so important. So I'm going to put a couple, well, actually a list of ideas on the table. You let me know what you think of this. I'm interested in your thoughts and conversations. So let me know on social media. So if it were me, if I were um, in charge and it was completely up to me, <laughs> which of course is uh, dreaming, but I'll, I'll, I'll go down this path anyways. We have to reduce employee counts. The first place I'd start is at the district office, and I'd be looking for um, management uh, personnel and the management levels of the of the district headquarters, looking to cut as many of those as we can, because we have to start with cuts that are outside the classroom. So looking for 
high dollar, um, high salary people at the district headquarters and really asking ourselves serious questions. How important are they really? And are they looking over um, regimes of functions within the school district that may or may not be as important as we think? I'd start there. Then I'd be looking at administrative jobs um, and looking for ways to automate them. Um, again, this I'm talking a little bit about Andrew Yang and that angle, but like just take a simple thing like school attendance. Um, you know, that's something that can be handled by an app. Um, you know, whether it's a mobile app, a website application, or even some of the automated attendance on a phone system. But still, a lot of these school districts have people managing a desk and taking down that information manually and entering that information manually. I think that's something that could be automated. Um, and there's a lot of other things that could be done where we can outsource a lot of things in the school district. Again, starting outside the classroom. Take a look at IT services for the repair of computers. Those are things that can be outsourced to third parties. Um, outsourcing um, potentially some of the food services to third parties. Outsourcing payroll, that's an, that's an easy one. There's lots of companies out there that provide a third-party payroll process um, so we don't, we don't have to staff employees doing this. There are warehouses that the Poway Unified School District manages to keep computer equipment, supplies, et cetera. There are companies out there that are in the business of fulfillment, uh, of of, um, of products, you know, pick, pack, and ship. They have managed their third parties and maintain warehouses where you can store your product. And then as you need it, they will pick it and then they will have it shipped to you by a, a third-party shipper, whether it's UPS um, or some type of local trucking company. So by outsourcing these jobs, the key part of this is that not only could you potentially save some money and not have to pay higher prices for government employees, but you begin to really address the pension issue uh, because the pensions are what is killer. Uh, pension prices are, uh, or pension costs are going up significantly in the state of California because politicians have overpromised to um, employee unions about the returns on their uh, pensions. And they're coming up short on their investment plan of the pension funds. And so now cities and school districts are having to kick in more of their operating fund to make up that gap of overpromising that politicians have done to these pension programs. So reducing employee count, headcount is not only strategic from reducing payroll, but it's reducing that long-term pension obligation that goes on for years and years and years. And so that's why a lot of these things need to be outsourced. So another one, custodial work, um, trucking. Again, I, I drive around Poway. I see Poway Unified trucks going back and forth. Why do they have to have their own trucks? Why not just use a third party? And then suddenly you're not paying for the driver. You're also not paying for the maintenance crew. You're not paying for the upgrades to the vehicles. You're not paying for the capital expense for those vehicles. Um, so imagine the savings there. Um, so there's a lot of outsourcing that can be done. There's also, if you really want to get creative, um, there's opportunities to do naming rights on a lot of these sports facilities, these gymnasiums, football fields, baseball fields, soccer fields. Great opportunity for naming rights uh, to bring in money. And, and then even... 
like getting creative with naming rights. Abraxas High School in Poway um, has this wonderful um, garden that they've set up, and they're teaching students about all of these um, agricultural techniques. I mean, that garden is actually, you drive past it on Pomerado Road all the time. Uh, third parties, companies could sponsor that, providing much needed revenue into the school district. And that's just a start. I mean, there's really no sacred cows, but you got to be looking at ways to cut spending. But what has our school district here in Poway been doing? They were avoiding cutting any employees. The only thing they did is they took some um, job openings and then took them off the board. But there is an unwillingness to make those necessary cuts to be more strategic and how they go about uh, funding the schools because of that that incestuous relationship that exists with those unions, because the school board members know that if they go against the unions, cutting um, either uh, cutting headcount, cutting salary, that sort of thing, they're going to end up being um, a target in their next election. And they're going to have a very difficult time being reelected when they have the teachers union going up against them. So it's a very difficult situation and a really kind of a bad um dysfunctional kind of a relationship um, where there is these bizarre conflicts of interest that occur. Um, but anyways, again, if I were in charge, these those are just some of the things I do outside the classroom, but we're not going to stop there. There are things we can do inside the classroom to save money. And one of the great things that's going on now in uh, Poway Unified is this concept of middle college. And this is where we're seeing um, community college teachers um, coming to uh, the, the high school and providing sort of college level courses, um, transitional course work. And it's really good for not only college bound high school students, but also for those students that are on the border that are not sure if they're going to go on to college. This provides a pathway for them. The beauty is, is that these are community college professors that come and teach and the school district doesn't have to pay for them. So if we can provide more of this middle college, then there's less need for teachers to be funded in the school district and less need for long-term pension obligations. Um, But again, let's not stop there. Let's be a little bit more innovative and think about things that we can do. Now, one of the One of the hot topics is always class size, and everyone wants small class size. And I understand that, especially in some of the younger grades. You want more personalized attention. Um, But when you get to high school, there are opportunities to do things very differently, Uh, particularly – let's just take an example of students that are on the college track, and they're – you know, doing their A through E requirements for the University of California. So they're taking, you know, physics and chemistry and they're taking all the advanced math courses, et cetera, the AP courses and, and, and all of those. So let's just pick an example of, let's just say, chemistry. Right now in any given high school, there are multiple chemistry teachers um, and we've got five high schools. Um, so Actually, is it six? Wait a minute. There's Poway, Rancho Bernardo, Mount Carmel, Westview, Del Norte, and Abraxas. So there's six high schools in Poway Unified. If they're going to be teaching chemistry, rather than having all of these individual chemistry teachers, in fact, maybe multiple chemistry teachers per campus, you could hire 
the best chemistry teacher in the whole district and have them teach to students in one of the performing arts centers in a large lecture hall format because these are college-bound students that are going to already be going into lecture hall formats in a year or two when they go to a four-year university or even to a community college. So why not just begin ramping that up a little bit sooner? And the students will benefit because they'll have the exposure to the best, in this example, the best chemistry teacher in the whole district. And and by doing so, no longer do you need 12 chemistry teachers uh, for six different campuses. You could have one maybe a couple of assistants to help out and that chemistry teacher could rotate amongst the different school districts and do maybe a, a lecture um you know in in the morning at one school and a lecture at the next school in the afternoon and that person could rotate through imagine that as an opportunity to reduce the headcount of teachers so that we can give students the exposure to the best possible teacher. And even for those lectures that are at some of the other campuses, students might want to review the lecture. They could have those lectures that um, could be streamed live in other classrooms. They could also be archived, and then students can rewatch those lectures at, at their own time, maybe to review their homework and the like. So technology can play a role here as well. I mean, really, if you think about it from a technology perspective, there are amazing things that can be done. I mean, look at Khan Academy and the work that they've done to help students uh, be able to um, learn how to solve problems through these innovative techniques using online learning. The beauty of online learning is, is that you get a lot more leverage. You give students a lot more exposure to the best quality teachers at the lowest possible cost. So, um, I would encourage the school district to be thinking about that in terms of um, uh, reduction of class size at the high school level, particularly for students that are on college track, on, on, um, on path to pursue a higher education and, um, and start there as an experiment. I think that could be a very innovative approach. Um, and then also, I think there are some arguments that could be made that some of the schools right now um, have very low census figures. And I think they could probably look at two or three of the campuses. I think there's 39 campuses in Poway Unified. Do we need all 39? Uh, because, you know, the, the demographics of the city are changing, um, you know. People in some areas are getting the children have grown up and grown out and there's not a whole lot of new young people moving in. Again, this is part of the housing crisis, which is a whole separate topic. But I think they need to be taking a look at are there cases where schools can be consolidated um, and then relieve of, of the dupli duplicity of principals and assistant principals and all the other administrative staff um, that w that really could be eliminated. So I would encourage the school district to be thinking along those ways. But the challenge is, is that in order to do all these things I've talked about, you have to eliminate people from the budget. And that's where the unions and the quid pro quo relationship with the school board gets so darn tricky. Um, but in the end, if these kinds of things are not addressed, you know, they're going to constantly be in a fiscal crisis because this, the, um, the school district has no control over revenue, none. They are only able to get what comes down the, the pipeline from Sacramento. And there's a lot of um, 
drama and, um, how should I say, unfairness in that model. Different school districts get different dollar amounts per student per year, and there's a whole kind of crazy formula for that. Um, But in the end, a school district can't control their revenue. They can only control their expenses. School districts need to think differently to reduce the cost of education so that they can free up their budget generate surpluses, and then using those surpluses to drive the investment in these capital improvements in these large maintenance projects. And that's how it needs to be funded, not by continuously going back to the well, burdening taxpayers where the price of housing is already outrageously expensive, and then adding layers upon layers upon layers of bonds. The city of Poway does a very good job of doing this. School districts, in particularly Poway Unified, should learn from them. Uh, But it's going to take bold leadership, not only from our superintendent, but from our school board. They're going to need to be brave. They're going to need to do what is the right thing, not only for students, but also for taxpayers. Um, And there's going to be some squeeze occurring. There are some people that may get caught in the, um, the wake of this. But these are difficult choices that need to be made because the money is finite. The money is limited and they have no control over what the revenue that comes in. Now, a bit of a tangent on this. You know, there's talk now that about eliminating Prop 13. Uh, Prop 13, of course, is what puts a cap on property taxes um, and there are some homeowners that have the benefit of having their home assessed a long time ago. And as a result, there are some people that some may think are not paying their fair share. Um, and, and as a result, there are some that want property owners to pay dramatically more property taxes, again, to go to schools so more of that money can go to school employees. Because again, over 80% of the budget goes to school employees. Um, So keep an eye on that as well. Uh, Some people, you're going to see employee unions, teachers unions pushing really hard to destroy or tear down Prop 13. The proposal that's coming forward on the 2020 ballot is to eliminate it or to greatly reform it for commercial property, but not for residential property. But that's just the first step. If they're able to get the commercial property um, refinanced or, excuse me, reformed, so the commercial properties are paying more, then you know what's coming next. It's going to be the residential properties. um, And um, it's going to make housing in California even more expensive than it is now, causing greater gaps in wealth inequality and a lot more challenges with our housing environment. So, and that's a great transition because that's where we're going to go next. We're going to talk about housing. But before we get to that, um, I just, again, I encourage you, if you have thoughts and comments on this, reach out to me on social media. Let's have a conversation about it. You can follow me on, on my Facebook page. I have the John Riley Project. I have my special insiders group. It's a closed Facebook group. You are invited to join us there. Look for it at, at the John Riley Project Insiders Group on Facebook. I post bonus content there from time to time, have more intimate conversations from some of the fans of the podcast. So I invite you to join Join us there where we have some conversation. You can also seek me out on Twitter at John Riley Poway or on Instagram, also John Riley Poway. And I would enjoy the conversation. I think um, that's what this is all about. This podcast, I'm doing it for a number of reasons. 
Um, many of them really, like I've talked about this before, I'm doing it really for a lot of selfish reasons because I just want to share my thoughts. I also want to interview and learn from some of the interesting guests in this program. Um, but really another aspect of this is that I'm hoping that this podcast can serve as a community forum where the conversation happens with guests here in the podcast studio or with um, some of the, the the listeners and the viewers as we have interaction in social media. Um, so please join us there and let's continue the conversation. Okay, so let's talk about housing. And we've had a number of podcasts where we've talked about, you know, Mayor Kevin Faulkner, City of San Diego Mayor, and his State of the City address where he was trying to break down some of the regulations to allow more construction. Um, and we're seeing that in a lot of other cities as well, because really that's the crux of the housing crisis in California, in San Diego, and each of our communities within San Diego County. There is massive demand to live here for so many reasons. It's a beautiful place to live. Um, it's uh, wonderful weather, great resources, lots of economic opportunity. But um, when there's so much demand, but the supply of housing is so limited, um, when construction is so difficult, when construction is so expensive, and it makes it so th there's not enough supply to meet that demand. And so, again, Economics 101, we know that when supply does not meet demand, if demand is going to be in excess of supply, prices will go up. And that's why we're seeing home prices rent prices continuing to go up because of this crisis. So in my opinion, we need to see solutions that encourage more development. And so that's what's happening now in the city of Santee. And they are now beginning to embrace granny flats, which I think is great. Now, granny flats, you remember, are the, the small miniature house that's built ideally in the backyard or the, the back portion of a person's property where grandma can move in. That's why they're called granny flats. But really, these become additional structures on people's homes that can be used for other family members or can be rented and become a source of income. And these are, you know, parcels of uh, portions of the, of the land that might only take up a thousand square foot footprint, you know, so they're a, a kitchen, a bedroom, a bathroom, and maybe a dining area, and that's it. So almost like a one bedroom apartment on a slab of concrete in someone's backyard. That's what these granny flats are. Well, the city of Santee is doing some innovative things to make it easier to build them. So let me share this from a San Diego Union Tribune article, and I'll include the link in the show notes. Um, Said here, the city, um, the Santee City Council last week agreed to waive the hefty development impact fees that have been an obstacle to residents wanting to build accessory dwelling units, also known as granny flats. The move comes amid a countywide housing shortage and provides a lower cost alternative to those looking to shelter family members or supplement their income. Yeah, great. <laughs> Loving this. So granny flats are allowed in all single family residential zones in the city, in this case, Santee. Um, but the average of $22,000 in development fees deters home builders, um, according to Development Service Director Melanie Cush. Most cities imp um, impose um, these fees, these impact fees on new developments um, to um, leverage and mitigate for drainage and traffic signals and public facilities, park facilities and more. So that's the justification for this. Um, but I love the fact that what they're doing is they're trying to reduce 
the price to build these homes because you're already dealing with the cost of material, you know, building materials and labor to build this. But then the city is charging so much, $22,000 to build a, a, a granny flat. I mean, that's just outrageous. And so fortunately now they're talking about reducing that down to 8200 which I think we could argue is still too much uh, because the people that move into these – they're still going to be paying sales tax um, when they buy products within the city. Um, and at the same time, um, that property owner is already paying property tax on their property. Why are they sticking it to them again? So um, I, I, I think it's great that they're talking about reducing um, these fees. Uh, but it's, it's interesting in reading the article, if you go f- through it a little further, you'll notice that some people, again, this is kind of that Prop 13 mentality that I talked about earlier. They're saying, well, if you want to move in a family member like a child or a grandparent, then great, we'll reduce the fee. But then some say, but if you want to rent it out, then you're basically acting as a business and we want to charge you more because you're a business. And I'm thinking, oh my God, what happened to equality under the law? You know, so um, different rules for different people is crazy. So um, I would encourage cities to follow what Santee is doing. I know City of San Diego is trying to do some of these things. Here in Poway, there's been great discussion about granny flats, but it's really just been conversation. Nothing's been put in place. But here we're talking about something completely different um, rather than simply reducing the fees to build granny flats here in Poway. The city government wants to basically jump in bed with the property owner, um, be a business partner with the property owner, loan money to the property owner to build it, and then do a revenue share on the rental income that comes from it, which is, in my opinion, ridiculous. Um, it's overly complicated, and it's it's uh, getting government too involved, too intrusive into the way people manage their own property. Uh, what Santee is doing, I think, is great. So uh, big uh, thumbs up to the city of Santee. Good work. And I know this hasn't been approved. I think it's going to have its final uh, reading at city council this coming week. And I sounds like it's going to be approved. It'll go into effect in September. And I think they said it was going to extend for about five years. So let's hope that we're going to see... Um, more construction of granny flats. Hopefully we're going to see some people that maybe built granny flats on their property and did it rogue, didn't file proper permitting. Maybe they'll come around and get it permitted because that's in their best interest to do that because then it's it's formally on their property record and that will, um, as a result, increase the value of the home. Um, which, by the way, will also increase tax revenue into the city, but it'll also increase the value of the home. So for a property owner perspective, they're going to see their value increase. So this is great. You know, it'll encourage more construction and it will legitimize uh, you know, some of the existing sort of rogue construction that's occurred out there. Um, so I think that's all good. So congratulations to Santee. Um, all right. So. What else with this podcast? Uh, this is kind of a shorter one, but, you know, I'm glad you're listening, glad you're watching. Some people have asked me, they say, John, I love what you're doing. I really like these podcasts. You know, some of my uh, uh, followers on, fa- on Facebook have been saying, hey, you need to comment more on the Democratic uh, presidential race. And people ask me to invite guests here and do debates between different people. And we're trying to get some more of these guests involved really trying to cover a lot of topics, love hearing from you, recommending issues for me to cover in this podcast. Please share them with me. And sometimes I get a little too caught up in political issues just because I'm intrigued by it. But 
you know, I, I've done a lot with electric vehicles and sustainable energy. I think that's important. Um, I've talked a lot about um, sports and our local sports teams, which I love talking about. Um, we've talked about entrepreneurship and business owners and love hearing from business owners, love hearing from authors, columnists to talk about those kinds of topics, the things that are that you're passionate about in your world. That's why we talk about this podcast being life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. What are you doing to pursue your happiness? Loved having Pete Neal here talking about Corvettes. He's going to be coming back in the podcast studio. We're going to be talking more about cars and some of the interesting things that he's pursuing. Um, so, so many different issues um, that we can get into. Self-improvement is one that I really want to get more deeply into, um, talking about ways that you can benefit, ways we can offer value to you to improve your life, to make you feel better about yourself. So um, talking actually to a number of guests that are in the self-improvement world and um, trying to organize and get them into this podcast as well. So um, again, I... If left to my own devices, I'd probably drift more into the political world, but I don't want to do that. I want to I want to really cover more areas. So your feedback is so important. So please reach out to me. But there are other things that you can do um, if you really want to support this podcast. Number one, just listen to or watch every episode. Um, you can listen to us on all of the popular podcasting platforms. We're on iTunes, which I think is now called Apple Podcasts. We're on Google Podcasts. Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Listen Notes. So all the popular podcast platforms. And we're also on YouTube. So I do the video on YouTube every single time. Um, so uh, you can reach out and listen and watch all of our episodes. Another thing you can do is just share this with someone else. Maybe you're at uh, the grocery store. Maybe you're at church. Maybe you're talking to your neighbor across the fence um, at your house. Let him know, hey, there's this guy, John Riley. He does his podcast and he's in Poway and he talks about San Diego County issues, talks about national issues, talks about issues in Santee and Oceanside and Poway and Rancho Bernardo. It's a local podcast covering local people, interviews with amazing people in our local community. And he also talks about some of the current events going on here locally. So please share that with, uh, with um, others and just trying to build the audience. That would be really helpful to me um, if you can spread the word. Um, another thing you can do is Give us a rating. If you're on iTunes um, or any, really any platform, you can go out and, uh, and leave a review. Give us a five-star review. If you think we deserve it, leave five stars. We'd really appreciate that. The other thing you can do is subscribe to our YouTube channel. It's really easy. Just go to the YouTube channel. Right below the video, there's a button, and you, it's a red button, and just click on it and subscribe. And then also um, click on, I think it's a, a bell icon. And then you'll get alerts every time we upload a new video. And we're starting to upload some videos that aren't necessarily in the, the regular podcast, some of these little bonus short videos that we'll be putting out. So you'll be alerted to every single one of those. Um, so subscribe to the podcast. Subscribe on Apple uh, Podcasts. Subscribe on Stitcher. Subscribe on Spotify. That's really helpful in building this audience. Um, and then, you know, yeah, continue the conversation on social media. You can follow on, on Facebook, on Stitcher, excuse me, on Twitter, <laughs> on uh, Instagram. 
and reach out there. And then if you really are feeling extraordinarily generous, um, you can always go to the website, johnreillyproject.com and their businesses. If you want to be a sponsor of this podcast, there you can sign up. Or if you just want to be a donor and uh, offer some money, you know, a couple of bucks, two bucks, $3 donation. We'd love to have that. That just basically is all reinvested in the podcast to pay for technology, um, to make this podcast better. Um, so any support you can offer, we would be so appreciated, but really the, the greatest thing you can do is just share this with a friend. I mean, that would mean so much to me and, um, your support is just so wonderful. So thank you everybody that's been listening and watching. Um, I always like to finish every podcast with a quote, and I thought this is a great one. And it's from the TV show, Madam Secretary. And it's Elizabeth McCord played by Tia Leone. She's the secretary of state. And I know this was a conversation she was having with her husband. And she said, when everything seems to be lacking integrity, you find it in yourself. Isn't that great? So when there's chaos all around you, when there's a lack of integrity in the people that you deal with, the best thing you can do is look within and demonstrate and display your own integrity. Um, Be a person of high character and uh, represent, be a good example. And what I've often talked about in this podcast, be braver. (laughs) Hashtag be braver. That's a big part of what I'm doing in this podcast, trying to be brave, share thoughts, share comments, invite guests, invite civil, rational, and respectful dialogue, but be braver, show integrity. So that's a wonderful quote. Um, So right now, gosh, what time is it? I'm recording it. It's now 11.03. In the evening on Saturday, August 24th, um, this is episode number 71 of the John Riley Project. I am going to wrap this up. I'm going to try to post it late tonight, and maybe I can sneak in one more episode of Madam Secretary before I put my head on the pillow. Thanks, friends. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. We'll see you later. Goodbye. <laughs>